All right, as I mentioned just a moment ago, Minnesota Governor Tim Walz, Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan are in Moorhead right now. They're doing sort of this inauguration celebration. So I spoke to them, gosh, about an hour ago. We talked about what are the issues that are facing greater Minnesota today and how do you solve them? Uh, the Enbridge Line 3 pipeline, are they going to sign off on the thing or not? Also, do they support the FM diversion? And a big conversation I asked you on Facebook earlier today was they wanted to find out, does this administration support your Second Amendment rights or not? Here's my outstanding interview with Governor Tim Walls and Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan. Uh, you guys have been doing this one Minnesota tour, obviously big theme of your campaign, and then you get into greater Minnesota. Just to be frank, you guys didn't do as well as maybe you'd liked in greater Minnesota. It's very red. I guess my question is, you've been going around this trip. What's the greatest challenge, the greatest problem you're hearing from the people in greater Minnesota? And most importantly, how do you solve it? Yeah, I, it starts with, I think, at the you know the 40,000-foot level, if you want, is, is broken governments. What people really wanted and what we heard was is they want us to figure out ways where we can compromise to get things done. And then it gets down into the issues that impact their lives, education of their children, health care for their families, prosperity in their communities. Folks out here want to know us, how do you start a business like Junkyard? How do you make it work? Um, these are the folks that are employing people that gives them the opportunity to live in this wonderful community of Moorhead. If they're not here, somebody has to choose to move somewhere else. And so that's what we're hearing from them and we're being very deliberate uh, I think uh, it's it's pretty obvious in this country there's there's divides and and one of those divides is urban rural uh, what we're seeing is is once we start telling these stories about how we're interconnected together and how it makes great sense that if Moorhead's doing well so is Mankato if, if Grand Portage is doing well then so is Grand Rapids and you start to see that and it's our job to make that connection so we're hearing from people that's what they want to see and it feels like uh, it feels like it's working. The tone this morning in the state capitol with all the leadership, Republican and Democrats, sitting down together, I heard feedback from people that's the most positive they've heard in years. So I think that was what One Minnesota was supposed to be about. It wasn't supposed to be about everybody's the same. It wasn't supposed to be about we're right on everything. It was about there are common ground to move Minnesota forward. You're in a very unique position, Lieutenant Governor, the first Native American uh, elected to an executive office in the country. So what are you hearing from your fellow Native Americans? And, you know, you see this rural uh, urban divide. How do you give a greater voice to the tribal voices in your state? Well, I think, you know, I feel uh, the weight of the responsibility, um, but also know that it is really important to make sure that our Native communities uh, feel seen, heard, and valued. That was part of our vision uh, for One Minnesota and making sure that people have a voice at the table. So we are spending time uh, talking to our, our tribal leaders and to the, the urban American Indian community as well, and we know that the folks who are most impacted by decisions should have have a voice in creating uh, the solutions and, and policies that impact their lives. And that's what we talked about on the trail. And now that's what we get to do uh, in, in this position in the executive office. So I asked our audience on Facebook, hey, what do you want to hear from the governor and lieutenant governor? Several topics came up. One of them, and we're going to kind of stay in the Native American vein, if you will, was line three. PUC said, hey, there is a need for this. Then the governor actually sort of sued himself, if you will. If the science comes out and it shows, hey, this is scientifically sound, everything's okay. And I look at North Dakota, it's been great for us having DAPL from a standpoint of taking oil off the roads. We've opened up cargo and rail for the farmers. Will your administration say yes to line three? If it meets those requirements, yes. And we've said all along that we need to have meaningful consultation with the folks who are impacted. And certainly in Minnesota, that, that includes tribal communities. Uh, we need to follow the science to see if it's, it's scientifically sound. Uh, we need to make sure the environmental impact statements and, and, and then the permits are all in place. And at this point in time, we're just 
just uh, going back and reviewing uh, that Commerce Department's lawsuit, but I, I think a, an independent agency like the Public Utilities Commission um, needs to evaluate all the information, and we set it up that way to try and pull some of the politics out of this. But as I've said, if it can meet those requirements that go in, into place, then, then yes, we would. Um, but I, I understand that this is volatile for people because there are a large number of people who felt like they haven't been heard in this, and there's some confusion certainly created. I think it's our responsibility um, to look at all that science to make sure I need to make sure why did the Commerce Department do this after it was done. Uh, if there's validity in their concerns, then of course we would take a look at that. But I, I think what we need to do is just make sure um, we're being sound on our science, sound on our permitting. So with that being said, what would you need to see from the Commerce Department to go, okay, we need to put the brakes on this? Well, I think to understand what the suit is, and we have both uh, our new uh, Commerce Commissioner and Commissioner Kelly and our general counsel in our office taking a look at this of, of what was the reasoning behind it, and it's basically on the statement of needs of, of what was shown there and why did they f file this. Um, I'll need to see the background on what made them believe that that's what they needed to do. I'm also you know, interested in, I think, moving forward, trying to understand how come that didn't come out before the PUC had a final ruling? How come those things weren't entered in? And what happened in the process to break down? Because just candidly, uh, this should not happen. Now, if there's a process to be able to allow to do this, and certainly in our system of, of divided governments, the judicial system is one aspect that many people need to access. In many cases, that's the protection that people have, especially who don't have a voice. But how did we get to that point? So I, I think for me, I just need to understand what motivated them, what were the facts that were there, do they warrant that, and is it is it potentially the place where maybe the court should look at this and see if it was right? And and that's a responsibility that will need to fall with, with me uh, once I see that. Lieutenant Governor, for you, um, I know that you've got some white earth, uh, you come from that tribe, correct? So there's been some uh, people that are against line three, uh, and yet you talk to people in greater Minnesota and they say, hey, we need economic development. You're talking about a $3 billion private investment here with line three, so if the science again meet sort of your administration standards. Um, I think Kurt Dowd said earlier today that you actually protested against DAPL. So will you support the science if it bears out to show that this is okay? You're still gonna be against line three? Well, I think, you know, as a enrolled member of the, the White Earth Band of Ojibwe, uh, this issue is personal for me. My own tribe is part of an additional lawsuit. And so, um, you know, along with the, the governor, we have to review that lawsuit along with the lawsuit that my tribe is a part of. Uh, Red Lake is also a part of that and have to make a decision. But, you know, I think we've been very clear uh, that the treaty rights, uh, tribal sovereignty, making sure that our natural resources are protected. Uh, wild rice is the official state grain and, and we need to make sure that we have the protections in place that allow us to continue into future generations, our ability uh, to live here and to, to protect our way of life and acknowledge uh, the tribes who are in the state of Minnesota. So we have a lot of, uh, we're yeah. a week into the, yeah. the job today. And so um, that's, that's right. And so, you know, our job is to make sure that, um, you know, we're doing our due diligence and listening to you know the folks on our team and and doing things in a in a good way and and in the right way. Yes, I was just going to say, and this is what should happen. This is a this is a challenging subject, and their yes. passions run high, and and rightfully so. All across, um, from economic to the tribal sovereignty issues, all across politics. Um, but if politics works right, it's done in a transparent manner. Are you prepared for a dapple too? I mean, that was a. 
Well, I think our goal has always been that if you do the work you need to do on the front end, include people in, make sure they're heard, uh, you can alleviate a lot of that. I certainly want to be very clear that I uh, am uh, an unwavering supporters of people's First Amendment rights and to continue to speak out. We have many open events where we publicly invite people and encourage them to speak because I think the most frustrating thing is when people don't feel like they've been heard. They may, at the end of the day, disagree with the decision we make, but it has to be based on that they were heard. And I've got to be able to, to stand on the science of what's there because all your points, all the points that are made on this are all valid from economics to tribal sovereignty. Let's stay on the vein of science and permits and First Amendment rights. Another big project here locally, obviously, is the FM Diversion Project. The former Minnesota DNR governor said yes to a plan B, said, hey, Minnesota's committed to putting up $86 million for this project. Again, I'm assuming you haven't read all the filings on this, but from what you know about it, do you support the FM Diversion Project and does your administration support $86 million line item for it? Yeah, and this, uh, and thank you for, uh, we get a little bit more time to look into these, but I think on principle, and this is one where, uh, not so dissimilar to line three, some of the issues, there's personal property rights, and, and certainly on the Minnesota side, upriver, we, uh, concerns. Um, but with that being done, this permitting process, the DNR went through that, they did that. We're a point of su supporting, but I just met with a group of folks here who, who have concerns about this, and we're, we're absolutely, uh, wonderful about this, that they said they've been at this for seven years, their concerns are flooding their lands at this, trying to strike a balance. Their ask of me was, is please include us in the decisions. Please include us in the discussion so that we know ahead of time. We may not at the end of the day agree with you and where this process is at, we understand that, but are there things that we can do that will alleviate the issues that we have? And I think that's the approach. So at this point in time, yes, uh, we do support it, um, but I think that that ask is a very fair ask, and it's one that we intend to do. Is it all people coming in? Yes, at okay. this point. And I say that uh, with a caveat of uh, we haven't <laughs> reviewed everything, um, but that was the decision that was made, and, and that one was done in a, a orderly fashion where they got to it over many years. So we probably have time for one more question. Okay, here. one last question, because there was a lot of actually questions about this, was you guys' support of the red flags bills around gun rights. And so what people are concerned about is how are you going to determine if someone's a threat to themselves or others? Like who's, how are you going to, like what's going to be the standard for that and who's going to make that determination? Yeah, many states do this. You adjudicate it out. I have been on the other side of this issue when uh, veterans were being asked to give up their Second Amendment rights, but there was no adjudication process and no capacity for them to be able to go in well, front of the, the court. It's just a court. So it's good. That's correct. And you have the uh, the family members there and you provide the, uh, the medical background and the information on that. And of course, everyone will have the right to defend themselves or have someone help them say no that this is incorrect. So you're saying I will have due process? Absolutely. Absolutely. The due process piece is absolutely critical on this. I think you need to give those tools necessary to both protect themselves and family members, but there has to be due process in this. And it is the, uh, the piece that I worked on in Congress dealing with veterans on this issue. And my concern was at the time that the due process was being... Uh, so my question was, where's the due process? Because you're going to take my gun and then I go to court, correct? You're going to go to court. Your family has a chance. They do a hold. And, and this can be written in a manner that I think this is one we need to work on. Because here's the, the thing for me as, as, a, as a responsible gun owner that you would have, and I, I support your Second Amendment rights on this. But if there are serious issues, your closest family members understand this is an issue. We've got to have a mechanism that says, you know what, let's do a hold here. Let's go in front of this. Let's adjudicate this. And if it's the chance. And again, I, I think the concern on this is, is that, uh, well, you're going to do it without, you know, any of that in there. No, we're going to have that in. But we do know for a fact that many of these incidents happen 
within the 12 to 24 hour period where someone is in a you know a state of crisis where they do something like this and it's just that access to that firearm um, it in of itself participates the incident what we're trying to do is strike that proper balance to say no if that's not the case we certainly want to restore your your ability to have your firearm. Uh, I just think that, you know, we are, are committed to, to gun violence prevention, but also making sure that we're working in partnership with responsible gun owners all across the state. And we think that this session is the session to get it done. I think this one can be done. Thank you. We're so grateful to have you guys yeah. here well, in Moorhead in Greater Minnesota. Appreciate so thank you for the time. Appreciate it very much. Thank you again to Governor Walls and Lieutenant Governor Flanagan. It is really great to have him up here in greater Minnesota. I know many of us up here feel like, hey, what about us? I know the Twin Cities are important, but we're still here. So they said, hey, we're going to be up here a lot, which I think is, is great, great news. With